tonight, sure. this is Matt Lautner coming to you from Adel, Iowa. Tonight I'm uh, joined by Stan Romberg, Paul Clapp, and Kenny Neville with uh, a little bit of background on Stan, who now lives in Florida. Stan, tell us about your background and how old you are. Oh, yeah. Just anything that introduces yourself to the audience. Yeah, I'm next door to 82 right now. It's in a month or two. I was born in Iowa, raised in Iowa until I was 20-some years old. Early in my life, I came to Florida uh, for a man out of New York and built a Charlotte cattle ranch. I was with DuPonts. I managed their place out there and then back to Florida. My folks was boasting their 90s, and I retired down here and stayed here. So what part of Iowa were you born and raised? Okay, that, uh, about 100 miles east of Des Moines, around Williamsburg, Iowa, 30 miles this, or west of Iowa City. And were you in that region whenever Paul was, were you in that region whenever Paul was at Searsboro? Uh, yeah. Specifically to Paul, I mean, Paul, how did you end up in Searsboro? I mean, that place eventually sold to Wade or whatever, but uh, how did you find that place, and what year did you move there, and how long were you in Searsboro? I moved there about 19... 79 or 80. And then when did you sell it to Wade? In the mid-2000s? Yes. So so approximately 25 or so years-ish, somewhere in that range. A story that I heard about Paul Clapp just yesterday, a guy told me to ask you about your your relationship with the Lauterbaugh family and the LFC, Brett Heifer, and and, and Bull sales and whatnot. Well, uh, how I met him was through the show, show cattle and they bought a couple of show heifers from me that got along real well, and and uh, they was having that sale with another guy that dropped out of it. Uh, Gary Lobbs was Gary Lobbs was the one that was in that sale with him to start with. I don't know exactly how long that LSD lasted. It lasted through the nineties, didn't it, or did it quit in the late nineties? Yeah, something like that. Yep. Best of the best sale lasted quite a bit, quite a long time for LFC, and it was also the home of uh, Lautner Farms Nuff Said Bull. That's a name that's still around Northern Iowa that you never hear anymore is old Gary Lobbs, and I believe Gary Lobbs and Bart Elder at one point were in business together, and we need to get those two on the show yeah. someday. Yeah. So a question that I would have for you, Paul, just on a personal level, is interesting to me. How did you meet my old man Phil Lautner, or I mean, just tell a tell a Phil Lautner story where each of you made some money, or just tell a unique interaction with Phil that you might have through the years? I think I met him. He bought a calf or two from me. I think is how I really met him. And that would have been in the mid '80s, I guess. Oh God, probably yes. Yep. Yep. So I mean. Uh, <laughs> You uh, knew a you knew a mid thirties Matt Lautner. You knew a mid thirties Phil Lautner. This is just a funny interaction, and we can delete it out if you want to. But how, if any, were we different? How, if any, were we uh, the same? Uh, you're you're both uh, hunt hunt for the best cattle you can find, and <laughs> you work at it very hard. Both of you did. I, I appreciate the kind words from an industry legend like Paul Clapp. But I, I like to keep it real, so I want you to say something negative about me and Phil Lautner. So go ahead. Come on, Paul. you got, you got different personalities where you get pissed off at people. That's <laughs> uh, funny. I mean, that's that's the sort of inter- – I don't know. I didn't know Phil in his 35, 40-year-old time frame, but I would say 
I would say I got my temper from my old man. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd get along with both of you good, so. <laughs> I'd say with both of you's reputation, you both know a good one. I've heard that before. You bet, yeah. Paul, can you tell the Phil Lautner heat wave story on the semen deal? I can tell you but, one story on Phil. Well, Al, a lot of them, but. One time we was riding together and somebody called him and was betting and Phil told him just straight as Ali says, if you get one cow on bread to heat wave, that's better than if you get all ten of them bread to one of the competitors. <laughs> uh, that's going to lead the show. So we're not going to have... Uh... <laughs> We're not going to have family fun hour all, all hour long about Phil Lautner, but I do have to tell one story. I believe the story was told on Cattle Drive Live that uh, we were traveling back from either Missouri or Nebraska in a car, and the, the trunk of Phil's car wouldn't latch correctly, so there was a bungee cord securing it so it wouldn't fly open. And I guess either me or my brother got our leg poked out. We were crawling in through the back seat and into the trunk and screwing around and being little jack white. Anyways, uh, <laughs> one of our legs got put out the back leg or back out the back of that trunk because it wasn't down. It was just secured by a bungee cord and the highway patrolman pulled us over and gave us a hard time about it. Anyways, that's a story that Phil told on Cattle Drive Live. But if I was Phil Ottner, I would have told the story of uh, taking me and my cousin Dax up to South Dakota to I mean, West River sites uh, out to the reservations of Long Breaks and some of them guys out west. And Phil, I don't, I don't, I don't really have this tendency, but Phil liked to sleep a lot during the middle of the day. Oh, no. So we were, we were driving up inter, or driving down Interstate 90 probably a dozen, two dozen, three dozen times. I can remember this, even though it's been 30 years since it happened. And a eight to 12 year old or eight to 13 year old. Matt and Dax Lautner would be set up on Phil's lap, and he would set the, he would recline that seat all the way back, and he would sleep for hours on end while we were driving down the interstate. And if a cop, and he set the cruise control because we couldn't reach the floor pedals if we wanted to. Anyways, he said if we ever met a cop, just go ahead and wake him up and get back over there to the passenger seat or the back seat. Uh, I don't know if we'd get hauled off of Child Protective Services if, if they ever got uh, that sort of situation happened in the modern day. I liked Matt back when he was farming, and he had to move a combine to another field, and I think it was you, like when he was 10 or 12, he had to follow him in the pickup, and a cop stopped him. And Bill asked the cop, he said, well, would you rather have him drive the combine? <laughs> there wasn't no age limit on a combine. Uh, I guess Kenny Neville is in the conversation now, and Kenny, you have a little hey, bit more uh, background knowledge on Stan than I would have, Stan Romberg. So why don't you just take a minute or two and just have a little interaction with Stan telling his background story like me and Paul maybe just had, okay? He'd, he'd come to Gordon and Ann's and visit, and, you know, he might spend a week sometimes. And But Gordon and Ann is who? Schubert, they're in Kentucky, in Taylorsville, Kentucky. The Angus people what, I work what, for. What farm, what farm name is that? APS Angus. Uh, so anyway, Stan had come down, and that's where I met Stan. Um, I don't know what, that's been 13, 14, 15 years ago, Stan? Okay, it's been quite a while. But anyway, Stan retired. He lives in Florida. 
Um, I consider him a dear friend, but it, in the, it, at one time, Stan was as good as there as good as there was, and probably got as many champions ready as as anybody has. Period. I mean, there's no there's no question about it. Um, and I think he's he's just got some. I mean, he's been everywhere, been to every show. Uh, mainly, mainly did the Charlay and the Pole Hereford breed, and did mess with some steer some. Is that am I correct in saying that, Stan? Yeah, clap it up. Yeah, I'll have clap tell you a steer show story about Sioux Falls one time when we went up there before we hang up. Now that we know a little bit about you, there's many p- folks that would have tuned in to Paul's first podcast. It's like number 15 overall out of 140 podcasts. So there's many people would know a little bit of background about Paul just. Through his own career, but then on this Cattle Drive Live episode that he did, plus uh, the podcast that we did about uh, three, four, five days ago on, on my deal. So anyway, so we were visiting earlier today, uh, Stan, and uh, I had mentioned to you that uh, we were talking about the 1972 steer, uh, uh, yeah. Eldon Miller's, uh-huh. and the fact that he was a white steer that got turned black, and being black, he could win the show that way, because they just yeah. weren't ready for Charlet Steers to win shows at that point. And I know that the 1969 Conoco Steer broke that mold, but it would be yeah. similar to the year 2022 in that uh, most people aren't ready for limousine heifers to win shows. But guess what happened? In the fall of 2021, uh, Sarah Sullivan wins grand overall breeds. She yeah. wins champion Lemmy and then beats all the other breeds. And... Uh, and uh, then, and that cow, that particular female goes back to the Riverstone Charmed limousine cow from Ratliff in Kansas. That uh, bloodline came down out of Canada from Saskatchewan, or excuse me, from Alberta. Anyhow, uh, Riverstone Charmed also uh, was the mother to the grand champion female at the 2022 Houston Livestock Show. So that, and this, this never happened before. Because they've only been doing all breed shows for 10 or 12 years, but there has never been a year where one cow, regardless of breed, has won supreme at both Louisville and Houston. But in the, the past six months, uh, Riverstone Charm did that at Louisville and Houston. And, and that would be a full, that would be a full brother to my bull, or the, yeah, the, that's, the that's Southern Heifer is a full sister to my bull jumpstart. So he's been, he's been popular, but just in the in the mass scheme of things, most people aren't ready to say, "Eh, throw me a cane of that jump start in there." We'll, we'll bring you some limousine this year. I bet you're going to sell a lot of semen on him. It's been good. It's been good for us, and I'm not trying to make this an infomercial, but it would just be a unique comparison. This has just been a unique comparison. Yeah. Uh, from people weren't ready for Charlays to win. And right. Eldon Miller found a way to get around right. that. You know how? He turned his Charlie Steer black. Yeah, I think I think uh, Paul and Kenny both would agree, that, and I certainly would say it. I've got as much respect for Eldon Miller as anybody in the cattle business as knowing a good one. I always did say if Eldon was judging the show, I would go. And if I got beat, I probably wouldn't complain because I'd know there was a better one there. But uh, the, the, I don't know. I don't know how many people know it, but the White Steer. He, he came out at Kansas City. It's, As the story was told to me, that steer got eighth place in class at Kansas City. Uh, there, there was two reasons the white one didn't win. Number one, you can sure carve a better phenotype out with a black one than you could a white one. 
but, but you're right. They, they would, uh, judges just wasn't going to put a, a white one up. Number, number one, they're going to get criticized because most of them wasn't great. Well, what you just said, I had Elton Miller in a private interview tell me yesterday, everybody wanted them black because it's easier oh, yeah. to cover up, it's easier to cover up flaws on a black one. And he yeah. said that the it's Dwayne true. Hilbert, the Hilbert brothers had a unique way of fitting their calves where they'd spray extra graphite and, uh, other oh, yeah. products yeah. of the time. And the judges didn't like the Hilbert's cattle because whenever they would handle the cattle with their, over their ribs, their hand would come back and it'd be full of graphite or powder or whatever they were using <laughs> yeah, to dress they, the steers. They, they, they'd be a little hard. Well, I don't clap, but I used to, we liked the Hilbert's well or got along with them well, too. That, but but I, I think that's 100% right. In the southern market, just in, as a national landscape, there's going to be, there's going to be exceptions to every rule. But in the southern market, in God we trust dominates for the most part. If you just had to pick one bull, and uh, yeah, just a good slicking bloodline in terms of cattle, you can peel hair off, and they still look good without the hair. And then the northern market, it's definitely a black market for sure. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, I couldn't disagree with that at all. But well, Eldon, Eldon did a magnificent job with him. I'll tell you this here. He looked the part, and everything else out there. And I know Paul and I talked about it. His only downfall, he'd have never got caught except the neighbor knew the difference and the steer had a brand. And that's one thing he couldn't cover up was the brand. <laughs> and uh, when they found the brand or the kid that had him, they went back to the ranch. They followed it through and they got him. I, 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 thought, I thought it'd be just as easy to let it go, forget about it. But I just think it's incredible. I think it's incredible that all the resources we have this day and age, as far as, you know, I mean, they even got red dye. You can dye their dye in the red angus and stuff. But I, I promise you, it would be, you'd be hard-pressed to take a Charlet steer and make him solid black and make people believe he was a crossbred in Denver yep. today. Now, yeah. back then, when you guys were doing running hard, and that's why I keep repeating myself, like you, Paul, and, and Stan, and Nolan, and, and, you know, you older guys that are, you know, that are quite a bit older than me. I mean, did it way longer than I have. I, I got all the respect in the world because you guys are the ones that invented that stuff. And you guys <laughs> did it the yeah. hard way and and got away with it, per se, which we couldn't yeah, do yeah. it today with all the stuff we have. No. The, the, the thing I say about Eldon, that he never told me or anybody else that I know, and Clapp and I talked about it, that steer had a pink nose, and I don't know how in the hell he got that nose black. And that I'll <laughs> never know, because that nose was as black as, as any Angus that ever walked. I think, I think Paul is right. I think later on, when they had him and displayed him a year or two later, when he was back pretty white, his nose was back white. But I don't know how he got it. I don't know how he got the thing. I, I guess I never really asked Eldon, but and I'm sure he wouldn't have wanted to say I wouldn't have either, probably. But it was a masterful job, but a damn good steer. No matter. Uh, Paul, what do you what do you have to say about the? I mean, were you in Denver that year, or did you? Uh, oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and what did you that. think of the steer? What did you think of the steer in person? Well, he, he had him fitted to a T for them days, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he, he looked good. Yeah. This is a breaking story to my podcast audience, but I did have a conversation with Nolan Fleshner tonight, 
and he's going to come on to my show. And this might be news to you, Paul, or you, Stan, or you, Kenny, but it it will be brand new news to my audience. In 1978, Nolan Fleshner bought the Champion Charlet steer out of the South Dakota State Fair, and he took that calf on to Kansas City, and he got a full-on dye job, and he was the no, second steer, the second white steer to be turned black, and he was grand champion, and he did not, and he did not get in trouble. I don't know if uh, Paul, if, if while we're visiting Paul, you can grab your uh, wife's cell phone, but I just sent those pictures. Anyways, you guys don't need to comment about that, or you can say whatever you want about it, but. I would say I'm uh, glad to hear somebody else done it, and, and no one can tell you how he got the nose black because I I never could do it. It wasn't hard to get the rest of them black, but oh, I'll tell you, I don't know how he got the nose that black. I really don't. Well, I'd like for I'd like for you to tell me how to do that sometimes, Stan, because I'd, well, I I can't get I, I can't get white on a belly black. That's <laughs> well, unbelievable. Well, I mean, here's what I'll say about this uh, whole situation. It's just a good. It's just a good reminder, even though, I mean, there'll be some people that say that's unethical or whatever you want to say, but I think these judges back then should have been reminded, good is good. Who cares if they're white or black? So at least two high class and high high industry professionals of the time, Nolan, Nolan Fleshner and Eldon Miller, thought that it made the difference between winning and losing, so they turned entirely white steers. Black, and that's just amazing to me. Yeah, Paul, Paul, did you have any interaction with Nolan back in the day? I probably met him through Bob May. They were partners yeah. in Capital and stuff, and I think that's probably how I actually met him. Like the beginning of your career would have been when? And just talk about the differences. Like Paul, in the last interview, talked about how he bought a steer in, in uh, Saskatchewan for 200 bucks. Took care of it, took it down to Texas, and retraded it for seventy eight hundred bucks. That's a pretty good return on investment. Yeah. But uh, I mean, just talk about. I know that you guys wouldn't be quite as like day to day involved in the industry in two thousand twenty two. But just even tell the tell what you would consider your own endpoint of your career or close to the end. How do you think it changed during the from the beginning of your career till the end in terms of the numbers of cattle getting bred? Uh, the ability to market them online or privately, or just just any observations about how things have changed over the last forty or fifty years. Okay, well I, I can say this: I'm, I'm I'm old enough. When I when I was a kid, my dad had horned herefords. He got that, and, and they couldn't be very tall, and they dang sure never got big enough that you could just about lift them yourself when they was mature. So I went from that to the extreme cattle, and now they're back to kind of middle of the road. So they've called that. The only thing I can say about all my years, I had to show cattle that I knew weren't quite right, but but that's what you had to win. If you're going to show, you might as well not fight City Hall. If you're going to manage, you got to keep cattle that people are wanting, or you can't keep it going. But uh, those are the decisions, as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't quite understand it today. I think they went over the hill just a little too much, but they may be 100%. But sure. uh, we definitely went over the hill when we went too big. I had two bulls that was over 3,000 that were national champions. I, for some reason in my career, I just, it's really more me honoring times past than me trying to capitalize on somebody else's success. 
but I can list you probably three or four bulls, Black Power Play, uh, Bull Flush, uh, Pistol Pete, and maybe one more. But anyways, uh, those were bulls of the 80s and early 90s. And I always tell people that there was a Ghostbusters movie in the early 80s, and uh, my kids have never seen it. But there has been a Ghostbusters movie in the last year or two, and my kids loved it. So it's really just like a great name, and I'm not trying to take advantage of people from 30 or 40 years ago. But uh, Paul, specifically you and me, I did have a bull called Black Power Play, and guess what? He wasn't half the mother effort that yours was because I think yours dominated for a time period in the mid-'80s or maybe it was a little before that. But uh, just tell us briefly about Black Power Play, and then maybe I'll just throw in a little quip at the end about my bull Black Power Play as well. Well, yeah, he dominated in the early-'80s, but back then there was only a handful of people trying to sell club cap semen. Where did you locate the bull black power play, Paul? Uh, uh, southeast Saskatchewan. I didn't know the Canadian bull. Cool. Oh, and yeah, I got him from Grant Dunham up there. Yeah. Cool. And then, uh, like we said in the last podcast, for but for those that didn't listen to that one yet, they need to go back and listen to Paul's interview from four or five days ago. But uh, Paul ran heavily in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and a little bit in Manitoba. But, uh, I mean, Saskatchewan is basically like Iowa without the Casey's, <laughs> without the Casey's gas stations. I mean, it's just, it's a farm-based uh, province in Canada, and the gas stations have liters instead of gallons. But it's a lot, it's really similar to just rural life in the United States, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. But, uh, I mean, do you remember, or can you tell us what uh, the Bull Black Power Play cost you in Canada in the 1980s? Uh, $700. $700, and this will be interesting. I mean, you, I know that you worked with maybe Nichols, and uh, Nichols and, and uh, Lloyd Youngman were partners, and that's probably a story that hasn't been told a whole lot, but Nichols and Youngman split. Uh, Youngman came west of Des Moines over to Hawkeye Breeders and started that bull stud. Nichols stayed over there to the east and has since uh, sold, it, sold that to Jay Steenhook. Or, is Steenhook married to a Nichols, or how did that work? No, he just he was started working for Marv, and okay. then when Marv got ready to retire, he sold it to Jay. Okay, I mean, I, I guess I didn't know that, so thank you for putting that up. And then yeah. I guess uh, in terms of, I know this a long time ago, and your records are probably as poor as mine before my wife came along, uh, or maybe you were better than mine, I would expect. But uh, just estimate lifetime sales on Black Power Play. And then just any, you know, I guess unique stories. Did you ever have anybody take a thousand or two thousand units at a time? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I sold well over a million dollars worth of semen out of him. Oh, you got lots of cost and shipping and and collection and all that, but a seven hundred dollar investment netted Paul Clapp a million dollars in return. So there's no way to estimate how much of that was lost in expense and daily care and all that stuff, but. Uh, Still a, a unique story, just like the $200 one that turns into a $7,800 one, a $700 investment turns into a million-dollar return and probably helped you, you know, get that farm in Searsboro paid off or whatever, I would assume. Oh, yep, yep. We poured lots of concrete there, too, but it was a lot cheaper then. He paid for all that. 
So, I mean, I guess a specific question I would have about black power play is, Paul, I mean, that that bull, to me, if you're rocking and rolling, selling a bunch of semen, I damn sure wouldn't pull. And I'm not trying to belittle the deal. I'm just trying to put it in modern-day perspective. I wouldn't pull out No Guts, No Glory, or I Am Here, or King Cobra, and say, let's go try to win the big bull contest at the Iowa State Fair. Uh, but you did, and tell me, was it just an ego thing? And I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just saying, or was there a huge jackpot payday if you did win the big bull contest? Oh, I don't know. It, it wasn't a big payday, but he was there at Marv's Nichols at the stud, and, and yep. hell, we wasn't even feeding him hard. We'd been watching these bulls, and I don't know, they weighed, they weighed a little uh, over, uh, over a ton, I guess. Uh, but, sure. Uh, do he weighed yeah. way more than that? We just took him in, and I think he weighed three top ninety at that thing, and and he wasn't even fat. So yeah. I do have a in my ar- archives. I do have a, a picture of a clipping of Black Power Play being announced as the winner in the Des Moines Register from that summer. So that's pretty cool. I'll yeah. attach that to the. I'll attach that. I'll attach that to the Facebook post whenever I. Uh, put out this audio in the morning. But uh, I guess uh, wrapping up on Black Power Play, I mean, uh, how long would you say his run lasted and then, like, what bulls were his contemporaries and then what bull kind of replaced him? I mean, would that be when Sugar A started to take over or, or what What, what yes, other bulls yeah, were around yeah. back then? Yes, they were starting to switch their type when Sugar A come around. And, uh, yep. He would have been the one that took over uh, after power play. So, yep. Yep. I mean, one more thing that I think we could enter into the conversation that is interesting or unique uh, that we've met, briefly mentioned before, uh, Paul. You did a little bit of. I mean, I don't. I don't know when you uh, kind of sold the farm and sold the cows, but at some point in the early 2010s, you started trucking a few bulls for me and Phil. I would imagine it would probably be shortly after you sold your farm to to Wade, and you're just you know you like anybody yeah. you wouldn't mind making a little bit of money if a guy could truck some stuff around or whatever. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think one. I can't remember when I sold that to Wade, but I moved moved up here yep. to Ankeny, and uh, yep. yeah, that's that's when I. And one thing that I'll say, one thing I'll say about Paul Clapp, even after he sold his farm. That MFR could go on long hauls and not get much sleep and freaking keep on <laughs> trucking. So I mean, you'd get back, you'd get back into the truck and it would. It, I'm just being honest, Paul. It would reek a little bit like cigarette smoke. You'd burn them heaters in there. But I'm telling you, in terms of e- in terms of uh, efficiency and timing, and then just safety, you never had to worry about Paul Clapp getting into an accident because he would never do it. No. No. He told me one time we was heading for Louisiana. We left Des Moines. He said, "If you think you're going to have to see, by the time you get to Louisiana, take a can along because we ain't stopping." <laughs> I don't think we did either. I think I about busted. Tell that story, Stan, about the wheel about the wheelbarrow and snatching you up. Tell that whole story after you after you won that. You're helping those people that won the steer show. And oh, oh, well, that was that was at, at the international. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I told told Paul that. Yeah, that was the international when I Pollock was there. And I was only about sixteen. I was I just, just a little sport, but anyway, Ivan had won the thing, 
with a steer called Hawkeye, and they paid him in silver dollars. And they had a uh, – it was a real real deal for the newspapers and everything. They, they had the steer up there for everybody to take pictures, and they had the wheelbarrow full of silver dollars. And I would just follow everybody up there because we got the steer ready for the pictures. And the security was falling along behind. They didn't know who I was. I got a little too close to the wheelbarrow, and one of them big devils reached down, grabbed me, picked me clean off the ground. He said, where do you think you're going, Deb John? <laughs> I've never been so scared in my life, Lord. I thought I was going to be killed. Well, the steer business was good in those days. And, but I, uh, Clap, I, I'm sure that Matt would like to hear that story if he's got time. That was a good time we had at Sioux Falls that time that we had Chaffin Steer up there. Yeah, we went to Sioux Falls. We had no entries. Some guy that Sam knew had some entries, so he let us use them. And we went up there, and oh, uh, Orrin Pollard, he had a daughter, Robin. And, I mean, she was gorgeous, and you could <laughs> never, ever beat her in the ring. They always let her win, so. Stan and I went uh, down to a strip club and spent the night and probably a lot of money. We got we got a stripper lined up, and she come out there and showed the steer for us. Uh, radio edit. Mm, what? Mm, uh. And we ended up winning. That, that wasn't our best steer, though. We didn't, the clap showed the best one. Yeah, but she won the class with the one she showed, huh? Yeah, you beat Gary Jones with the South Dakota steer. Okay, just to review, you had a stripper show a steer in the steer show, and it won its glass. What was she wearing? Yeah, yeah, we was yeah. We, we was lucky. To, we was lucky to make the fifth of that when she had. We thought Paul and Stan. I you didn't hear me. I'm asking you, what was she wearing? Hello. He wasn't very good. Boys. You're 70 and 82 years old, so come clean. What was she wearing? Hello. Oh, anyhow, they had an assistant judge, and he helped the judge in every class but that one. And all he did in that <laughs> class helped her get that steer set up. All right, you can act like Kevin Mears or Jason Kohlhaas and pretend like you don't hear my question, but I'm going to ask you one more time. What was she wearing? There, there wasn't a, there wasn't a booth of that whole deal that anybody was at. You could run around and swipe anything you wanted to. Everybody was over there watching her show that steer. Fine, 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 fine. Don't answer my question, jeez. And I don't know who all knew Russ Brandon, but he Russ Brandon Freudian slip. Did you say Russ Brandon? Huh? I think he told everybody in the world about that. He wanted us to get in trouble, but. Uh, what what Clap didn't tell you is, is Pollard and Hilbert and all them, they wouldn't even speak to us afterwards until they got away from there. All right, 82-year-old Stan Romberg from Florida. I know that you're the first time on the podcast, but we're keeping it real. So I think there's a lot of the pieces of this story that you're leaving out. <laughs> I got a story you guys might enjoy about Dwayne Hilbert. I'm sure that you, too, maybe have heard it before, but the audience probably has not, considering we have... <laughs> Listeners in about 72 countries. He was judging the uh, Sioux Empire Farm Show in the mid-90s, and Dwayne had an eye for cattle. Um, I mean, probably as good or better than anybody that's ever yeah. been in the business. And uh, mm -hmm. 
I guess he sorted a class one through four. There might have been more in the class, but the four that we uh, are going to discuss, the the class or the description of them was similar to what I would do if I ever judged a show as big as Sioux Falls. <laughs> he said, ah, this kid that wins the class, he's a pretty good fucker. Ah, but this one second, he's just not quite as good as the first one. Uh, but that third one, he's just not as good as the second one. Uh, and that, that fourth one, he's just not as good as the third one. Thank you. And he hung up the mic. Well, I could, I could just hear him say all the two. I, I, knew, uh, I knew a guy that, that name, his name was Paul Clapp that judged the steers of South Dakota one year. And this is way back when a 13, 1400-pounder wasn't even thought of. And he, he, the, the, the people couldn't hardly believe it, but it come down to the heavyweight class, and, and Clap put a steer up about 1,400 pounds. And there were several of them, and he didn't even take a hell of a lot of time when he went out for champions. Here he just went microphone, and he said when he drove up there, he said every field he went by, they had a great big tractor, great big dish, and everything else. And he said, until people start buying little stuff, I'm just going to come out here and make your biggest steer champion. <laughs> he went over and slapped that 1,400-pounder out of Half the people there's mouth was down around their chin. Respected him for doing it. Hey Matt, Anyways. one time, Matt, one time, Stan and I took some Angus cattle to Chicago to the international for a, a Dorn Bowman Angus breeder. We we showed them cattle, and I don't know what what was the highest Dorn stood fifth in class or something. No, 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 he had two seconds. It's a, the Hefty oh, in Kansas City was second yeah. behind that. Yeah. Yeah, but. But any, any house was as high. Yeah. Tree Lane Farm had both Heifer Calf and Bull Calf Champion and a class winner. And they come to the junior get. Stan Bowman had a junior get. So three lanes weren't out of the same fire. So Stan and I got Dale Slift. To stick them for us, and then oh, we yeah. reclip. We had to reclip them all to look like Slips had his printed. And we went out and we beat, we beat UT Farms, and they'd probably been to thirty shows and had never been beat in the junior get. And we beat them at the international. And we had, had to hide Bowman back behind. Yeah, we had Bowman out of sight. Just had Bill Slip. Them, so. I think yeah. that's the only time UT's junior get was beat that year. Yeah, yeah, that's never my knowledge. Me. Yeah, no. Cool. So we waited till the last minute. To, we waited till the last minute to take them in, so they didn't have a chance to look at them twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it worked. Yeah. So. So I guess that anyway, Dan and I weren't very good fitters because we had to redress Bowman's cattle, and then they won. Yeah. We had to pull the hair up on everything to make them look like tree lanes, but it worked, so. Yeah. But we used, uh, Matt, we used to have a good time, and the thing, I remember Bill Couch saying it so many times. Uh, we worked hard in those days, but we played hard, too, because we had a good time, and we wasn't mad at each other afterwards. Now, if we got beat, we got beat. But... Well, yeah. back then, back then, Sam. Everybody went and drank the winner's beer, and oh, then yeah. the next week, <laughs> next week, if you won, they was over drinking your beer. So, yeah.
So you better have some there, or they probably will carry you out. Eat it, that's for sure. Well, there was a lot of good cowboys in those days. I'll say that a lot of people we could go on for hours with that were that were good cowboys. Uh, one question I wanted to ask, if I could, uh, is Lloyd Youngman gone? I, I haven't heard of him for years. Yes, yes, he, he is. He I died. Well, I, I'm sure he has. So, I, I which is a lot. heard a lot about it. Which is actually, which is actually better uh, than previous to about three years ago. Me and my wife were fence line neighbors to Phil Ottner, and that got just a little bit touchy from time to time. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I think uh, we could have you on every week for a year, and there would be new stories <laughs> to tell. That's the great thing about yeah. the show calf deal. Uh, yeah, that, is, that is right. Uh, I think the biggest thing I could still probably I could tell stories about Clap all this time. We wouldn't we wouldn't have to get any farther. <laughs> but I uh, I can guarantee you one thing: people would never get tired of hearing them, or I wouldn't get tired of reminiscing because they were some good days. I did two podcasts with a uh, with a professional. Fitness guru, or otherwise a supermodel. Uh oh. <laughs> hey, how do you how do you get a hold of your podcast, man? Or how, 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 if I if I wanted to listen to your podcast, oh, oh yeah, yeah. How do I go about it? I'll uh, I'll send you. I like like Paul. I'll send you a link that you can click on. If you if you don't have a smartphone, you'll need to get to a computer and go to my website, and you can click have, on the link right there on the website. Back in a week, Paul. Uh, Paul, I know that uh, this is your second time on the podcast, and I will give you one review from our podcast from four or five days ago. Uh, my boy, my boy Kevin Mears said, get Paul Clapp back on the show, ask him questions, and then just shut up and let the man talk, for God's sake. <laughs> Off of this one, better just go ahead and tell a goddamn story so we get some more Paul Clap airtime. Uh, we'll, we'll talk so about you, you want to hear you, you want to hear another story? Yes, I want to hear one more story from Paul Clap so I don't get any more shit from Kevin Mears. <laughs> this, this, and this is about Stan and I. You was talking about how long I could drive and stuff. And, I drove, and we went out east somewhere to deliver cattle, and I got in there about 3 o'clock in the morning. I, well, I ain't going to wake them up then. So I pulled in to a Walmart parking lot <laughs> and parked that thing right in front of a light pole, and we had cattle on, on the trailer, and I had a sleeper on that pickup. So I crawled in the sleeper, or Stan was in the sleeper. Yeah, I was in the sleeper, I think. Yeah, I was in the passenger seat with my head on the console. <laughs> the cattle started rocking that trailer. Stan woke up and he thought I fell asleep and the truck was still going to the pole right from he, oh he jumped down in the driver's seat, started the truck up and was pumping the brake. I'll get this thing about stopped. About glass. About kill poor glass. That's yeah, good. I forgot huh. all about that before I remember it now. It's been a long time, Clap. Yeah. Okay, the last thing. 
Thank you, you guys very yeah. much, and I'll be in touch with you, okay? Yeah. All right. Catch with you. you bet. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Talk with you later. Okay. Yep. yep.